welcome to Novel Thoughts, a weekly book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Joseph Dance. Two book lovers from Ramsgate, East Kent. This is the podcast for the big readers and the book lovers. Once a month, we deep dive on one particular book, maybe an old favourite or something new and exciting, and we will read and discuss it. The rest of the time, we're spoiler-free, covering everything from new releases, old gems you might have missed, long lists, short lists, author spotlights, as well as the occasional interview. We'll also take questions from you, our lovely listeners. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Novel Thoughts. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you for all of your comments and feedback since the beginning of the year. We put a lot of time and love into making this podcast, so we really do appreciate every single time you engage with us, whether that's a share or a like on social media, sending us a great book recommendation or subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review. On that note, please do subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. We really wouldn't want you to miss anything, would we, Joseph? Absolutely not. And it's great to get all that feedback. So thank you very much. And just on the topic of feedback, do you remember we were wondering on last week's episode why most of the big Hollywood films are released in the summer? Yes. Well, thank you, Leah, who got in contact to say, since 1975 and the release of Steven Spielberg's Jaws, studios have released their big blockbusters in the summer because schools and colleges are off. Well, we kind of knew that. People have more leisure time and cinemas are air conditioned. And so people are drawn to them in the higher temperatures. And it's kind of obvious now, isn't it? You would go to a cinema because it's cool. Yes. I mean, am I allowed to still disagree? But yes, that makes a lot of sense. I still I still don't think it's right. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll leave that there. But thank you, Leah. And Leah also recommends picking up a copy of Down and Dirty Pictures by Peter Biskin, which goes into the machinations of the Hollywood industrial complex in a lot more detail and also talks about the rise of independent filmmaking in the 80s. And I think she got this snippet of wisdom from there. So thank you, Leah. That's really cool. Thank you. Okay, so on today's episode, we're going to be looking at memoirs, six of the best contemporary memoirs we think you should read if you want to completely immerse yourself in incredible stories of life lived to the fullest. But before that, Joseph, tell me what you've been reading this week, please. Okay, that was quite demanding. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? I've been reading The Wrong End of the Telescope by Rabbi Alamadine. Have you heard of no, this book? No, nothing. Not I'd a... never heard of it. So I actually came across this book when I was listening to a podcast interview with Tori Peters, who wrote Detransition Baby. Yes, that I am familiar with. Yeah fantastic novel and she was asked for other books that had believable trans characters and this was the novel she named so I added it to my TBR. It's mainly told from the perspective of Mina Simpson, a trans doctor living in the US who takes a week off her clinic job to assist her friend Emma who is another doctor and she's working in Lesbos helping with the refugee crisis. Mina is an incredibly forthright, self-assured character. She's estranged from her family with the exception of her younger brother And she hasn't been anywhere near her home country in decades. And the book follows her over a week as she tries to make sense of the crisis on Lesbos. And I would say the book paints a very unflattering picture of how refugees are processed and cared for. Alamadine is absolutely coruscating about contemporary refugee volunteer culture. This is like when people go to places like Lesbos on their gap year to ostensibly provide humanitarian aid and help with the crisis. Mm -hmm. But actually they end up sitting on a beach bored, drinking alcohol and taking pictures of themselves with unwitting refugees for their social media profiles. 
I'm going to say read it. I won't go into the plot, but it's a very timely book and asks some really interesting questions about empathy and also the expectations we place on people when we offer them help. Are we doing that just because we're kind or do we want something more out of it? That sounds amazing. I really want to read that. So can I borrow it? I will lend you my copy. Yes, please. That sounds really timely and really interesting. I think that's going to raise a lot of questions. What have you been reading this week? Okay, so I read my first Ursula Le Guin. Whoop. So we talked about Ursula back in December on one of our very early episodes. Michelle is a big fan and I myself had never actually heard of her. Mm. <sighs> Which is, you know, a little embarrassed about, but that's fine. No, it's fine. I've not heard of lots of people you've read. Exactly. So I then stumbled on a stack of her books in a secondhand bookshop and I thought, oh, oh, we spoke about her and I know who she is now. So I went through the whole stack kind of reading all the synopsis and picked a favourite. So I went with The Lath of Heaven, as the premise really intrigued me. The main character, George Orr, has a strange issue with his dreams. Certain dreams he has, he calls intense, effective dreams. And when he has that kind of dream, whatever he dreams comes true, but it kind of backtracks history. So he's the only person who knows that the world used to be different. Everyone else has no idea that anything has changed and sees this new reality as the one that has always existed, even though George only dreamed it like a few hours ago. Mm. So yeah, he also has a drug problem that stems from him trying to avoid having these dreams because he doesn't want this kind of power, you could call it. He's sent to a psychiatrist, Mr. William Haber, and Haber, although at first sceptical, soon witnesses George's unique ability and begins to tamper with George's dreams. But is he truly making the world better? I feel like I've told you a lot there, but this you can get all of this from the synopsis and from the kind of like talk around the book. You go in with this knowledge. I really enjoyed it. It was published in 1971, so it's pretty old for me. I'm obviously quite often more contemporary um, sure. But I, it read like a modern day, which for me, I always think it's pleasing. As That's kind of why I avoid classics, because I find some of them quite out of touch, quite hard work. This wasn't that at all. Okay, with classics, it's more than the tone, the, to- the way yeah. that the story's being told. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that can be genuinely off-putting sometimes and takes a bit of time to get used to. I'm ecstatic that you're now part of the Ursula K. Le Guin Club. I would suggest that you try The Left Hand of Darkness next. That's the one we originally talked about, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I did see it in, in the shop and I, yeah, I just, I don't know what stopped me. But It's an I incredible novel and it has the most amazing line in it. The king was pregnant. Okay. <laughs> if that's not a hook, nothing else is. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a go. Brilliant. Shall we get going talking about memoirs? Let's do it. So why memoirs? Joseph, can you tell me what a memoir is? Okay, so in my mind, a memoir is different from an autobiography. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a comparison here because I think it's easier to talk about memoirs in that way. So it's different from an autobiography in that it's often a snapshot of a certain period, I would say, in someone's life, like a moment of grief or a particularly gruelling job they did or a moment or period where they had some kind of realisation about themselves, perhaps. Like they wanted to leave a relationship or they wanted to become a writer or an artist or something like that. It's not necessarily chronological like an autobiography. I think I'm right in saying that. But I think a lot of the memoirs I've read have included details of the person's childhood, their growing up, kind of Mm -hmm. what made them the person they are. So you've got that context. I think in terms of its form as well, it's quite interesting Memoirs seem to be, they seem to have the ability to be a lot more experimental. Yeah. Shorter chapters, like playing with images and text, which is really interesting. Does that all make sense? 
I always think of autobiographies, as you say, as being chronological and kind of almost being everything. Like, here's my entire life, whereas a memoir is very much, here's the bits of my life I want to share with you. Why do you think memoirs are so popular? Why do you like memoirs? I love them because they give me an insight into somebody else's experience. Um, I think especially as, as a trainee social worker, we're really primed in our training to try and get into a space where you can really understand other people. We're told all the time professional curiosity. Yeah, We have to stay curious and we're kind of always trying to be as unbiased as we possibly can. We're always trying to not make assumptions. We really have to stay curious about what's going on for other people and what might, what might they have experienced in their lives. And I really feel like memoirs are a really useful way to do that. Okay, so do you feel like a memoir helps you kind of flex your empathy muscles, helps you become yes. more compassionate in that sense and, and learn how to build that bridge with someone else, someone yeah. who might not have lived a life that you recognise. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Before we get started, we should also say that the memoirs we're going to talk to you about today are just a selection of some of the best that we've come across recently. There are absolutely thousands of great memoirs out there and hopefully we'll have time in a later episode to revisit our list and talk about a few more. I'm imagining part two, part three, part four because yep. there are loads I love. Up yeah? for that, definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's get going. Okay, Saf, what's your first pick? Okay, oh, this was really hard because as I say, there are so many that I could think of but my first choice was This Is Not A Pity Memoir by Abby Morgan. Heard of it, not read it. Okay, I'm going to read you the synopsis as I think Abby explains what her story is about better than I could. Okay. An ordinary day, the end of ordinary life. One morning in June, Abby had her to-do list, drop the kids to school, get coffee and go to work. She returned home and found the man she loved and fought and laughed with for 20 years lying on the bathroom floor. Oh. And, yep, and nothing would ever be the same again. But this is not a pity memoir. It's about meeting your person. It's about the thing you wished you could have said to the person that matters, then wildly oversharing with the barista who doesn't know you at all. It's about sushi and the wrong shoes. It's about the silence when you are lost in space and the importance of family and parties and noise. It's the difference between surviving and living. It's a reminder that even in the worst times, there is light ahead. It's a love story. Before we start talking about it, one line that just jumped out at me is wildly oversharing with the barista. I just want to make a promise to myself that I'm going to stop doing that. I mean, I, I overshare with everyone. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't I should stop I should I should be with right there with you but this book honestly it's incredible you think the synopsis is great the book itself is just as good it it's just so frank the way that that Abby writes her story it's full of honesty but it's also got humor which you can really pick up on from the synopsis it's this incredible blend of just real life and all these small moments in life that I think are kind of universal for so many of us and it, within our kind of family situations, whatever they look like and, and with the people that we love. But also this incredible thing that, that happened to Abby. I read this and I couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks. I mean, as you can get from the synopsis, Abby's husband, Jacob, gets unwell and essentially their whole relationship changes because of it. Mm. he forgets a lot of things he he doesn't really know who abby is anymore and it's just wild that abby and jacob and their family had to go through this but the way that abby talks about it and the reflections that she makes about it and and i mean even now to say that it's not over you know obviously her life and their life is still going on but the the way she kind of puts that into writing and makes sense of it is is really beautiful and i think everybody should have to read this 
I have a question. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, and I don't want to um, unfairly badge it as something that it's not, but it sounds like a, an illness memoir in part. It's talking about a catastrophic medical event that happened to her husband. I've read an interview with her. She gets poorly as well at some point during the narrative. Mm-hmm. I guess I haven't read a lot of medical memoirs, illness memoirs. I don't know what the term is, but I often wonder, like, is it, does it get repetitive? No, I would say that as someone who reads a lot of them, although although I think when you read this one, you wouldn't categorise it as that. I can get why from like interviews and, and when you just look at what the book's about, obviously is based a lot around Jacob's illness and, and hospital visit and Abby's subsequent own journey through the medical issues that she faces. It does focus on what happens, but it's not like a here's our medical histories. It's really more about relationships between families and friends and kind of like how people pull together, how she carries on, carrying on, you know, she's got a family to look after, she's got threads to pick up and balls to keep juggling. Like, I wouldn't say it focuses so much on the medical aspect of of things. She's a um, award-winning screenwriter in her own right, isn't she? She wrote the script, was it the screenplay for The Iron Lady? The Margaret I think Thatcher so, yes. I think she's done quite, quite she's a done few quite things, a few, hasn't, hasn't she? she? She's quite, well, very talented in... in so I can Im- imagine this memoir talks about her juggling all of her professional and creative yes. pursuits while she's trying to deal with being ill herself and dealing with her husband's illness. For sure. And she's kind of like, as she works through it, as she writes and, and puts this into kind of this narrative that we then read, it really feels like she's trying to figure out what, what gets prioritised. How does she pull her own feelings and her own illness? But in to go back to your question, because I do... Although I wouldn't necessarily class this as like a medical kind of memoir or a medical book. I do read a lot of them because I am really fascinated by science and medicine and I read a lot of mental health memoirs and things like that. Right, yeah. I think everybody's story is so individual. Even if you've got, say, 10 people to all write a memoir who had all had the same illness and a similar experience, I still think the memoirs would be wildly different because everybody's experience of that experience is so different. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that's why we've got so many award-winning and amazing memoirs, for instance, about schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to talk about one later. I am indeed. Everyone's experience is bespoke. It's completely different. And yeah. you can draw something different from that each time. What's your first pick? So I'm going to preface my first choice by saying I really like memoirs that talk about friendship. Okay. And I'm particularly interested in books about friendship between men. It doesn't seem like a subject that gets written about much. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, I think that's a real shame because I think there are some really rich stories to be told there. I absolutely loved Michael Pedersen's memoir, Boyfriends. Did you read that? No, it's, it's, I've got it upstairs. I've not actually read it. Had a lovely blue pastel cover in the hardback. And then, and then they moved to yellow. yellow. Mm-hmm. Brave move. So that was released by Faber a couple of years back. And that was about the grief he felt after the death of his friend, Scott Hutchinson. And in the biggest sense, I guess it was a book about... Well, it was written to commemorate his friend, but like all good memoirs, it used that central relationship as a starting point to explore other issues like masculinity, vulnerability and social class. So, I mean, that's another great memoir. I'd recommend that one. Anyway, so when I came across Hua Su's Stay True and I discovered it was a book about male friendship, I knew I wanted to read it and I'm glad I did. So Stay True was published by Doubleday Books in 2022 and it tells the story of Sue's unlikely friendship with Ken, a Japanese-American student he meets during his first week at university. 
In the opening section of the book, Sue paints a picture of himself as a teenager growing up in North California. He's the son of Taiwanese immigrants. He's very self-consciously hip. He's a vinyl collector. He has his own zine. I really want my own zine. He only wears clothes from thrift shops and army surplus stores. He very much looks down on people who enjoy mainstream culture. He'll talk to you if you love Nirvana and Kurt Cobain, but if you're into Pearl Jam and blockbuster movies, you're dead to him. (laughs) The middle section of the book then takes us to Berkeley in the early 90s, where Sue has just enrolled as a political science major. And it's here that he meets Ken, who is this super outgoing, Abercrombie and Fitch wearing frat bro. Definitely not someone on first impression that Sue thinks he has anything in common with. Mm -hmm. But gradually, because they share a loose circle of friends and because Ken lives in the room above his, they keep bumping into each other and end up forming a really close friendship. However, this is all sadly cut very short after a few years when Ken is murdered during a carjacking. And the rest of the book then deals with Sue's grief at having lost his friend and how that loss impacts on his mental health and his relationships, which you can imagine is pretty profound. Yeah, wow. That sounds really incredible. And you know, I've had, I I do want to read that. I've had kind of friendship, especially male friendships on my mind. I think since we read Good Material by Dolly Alderton and we were talking about the research that Dolly did. Yeah, it's really stuck with me, that idea of male friendships. And I think you're so right that there's not enough writing out there. I think we're starting to see more of a burst of books about female friendship. And the relationship between women, whether they're mothers, you know, younger people kind of going through uni and those life experiences. I can think of several books that jump to mind about female friendships, but I can't think of those same kind of books talking about male friendships. I think that's a shame. And even if we're just talking about friendships in general, it's nice to see Mm -hmm. a lot of books about that rather than romantic love. Yeah. Because friendships can be just as significant in your life. There's a book I really want to read called Friendaholic by Elizabeth Day. Yes. Which I think is, it's that weird hybrid of memoir and essay collection. Yes, and she talks about that exact same subject. Oh, you've read it, brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I'm, putting, um, I'm adding that to my TBR. Yes, I hounded the publishing team for a copy of it and, and got one. So you made zero friends there. <laughs> okay. It didn't arrive for a while and I was that annoying person that was like, uh, is it in the post? Should I expect it? Oh, it's not turned up yet. In a nice way, I tried to be nice about Guys, it. Guys, um, why have you stopped speaking to me? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> no, yeah, but I did, get, I did get a copy and it was really good. And there's another book that I read that is not memoir, but within that same category that's called Platonic. Ooh, have you heard of it? No, but this sounds really interesting. Tell me about it. It is. It's by... Have you harassed another office full of people for this book? No, I just, I just bought this one. Oh, like, wow. like ordinary. Old school, how pedestrian. <laughs> ordinary folk. <laughs> Uh, it's by Marissa G. Franco. Okay. And it's it's about attachment style, but it's looking at attachment style in terms of friendship. So it's like looking at how your attachment style could help you, I think, make and keep friends is the kind of spiel that they give with it. And the importance of friendships. That was the point and what made me think to mention this is the importance of platonic love. I mean, I have a small friendship group and that's enough for me. I need to make kind of honest connections with people. I don't have the time for I mean, would you say a carousel of 40 people. I'm putting you on the spot because we're recording. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I kind of feel like friends are people you're lumped with. So yeah. I mean, I've notoriously and not good at making friends. I, de- I definitely think finding out I was autistic helped because it helped me think, okay, there's something in the way that I approach this that is thus far not working that well. But I, I'm on a mission. I think friends are important in life. And I'm, so does anyone want to be my friend? 
<laughs> James, stop laughing at me. So if you do, just, you know, hit me up because i got space. It's the, sight. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sound of the studio flatlining as we all quietly back towards the fire escape. What I really loved about this memoir, Stay True, is Sue's ability to take a really unflinching look at his friendship with Ken. They do become close friends and they do learn from each other. Sue prompts Ken to become more politically engaged and Ken encourages Sue to try and be more sociable, to, you know, put down his books every once in a while and go to a party. But they're a bit of an odd couple and they see the world in such a different way that there is always a space between them that they can't seem to bridge. But that doesn't matter in their friendship. Sue talks really beautifully about this dance of differences in their friendship and I really, really love that honesty. Mm. It's a fantastic memoir and I would highly recommend it. It won the Pulitzer Oh. for memoir and Poissou is a New Yorker staff writer he writes beautiful articles about music okay I'm adding it to the pile one more for the TBR what's <laughs> your next pick okay so my next pick is Taken Sides by Shireen Tadros have you heard of this I've heard of her I've not heard of this book okay she's a war correspondent right Yes. So this was recommended to me by a friend and I'm eternally grateful that they told me to pick this up. So Shireen is an award-winning war correspondent, as you mentioned, turned activist. So working for Sky News, Al Jazeera and later on the United Nations, where she lobbies governments to ensure that human rights are protected around the world. Tadros was raised in London by her Egyptian immigrant parents. And the memoir kind of weaves in her experiences as a war correspondent, such as being trapped inside a war zone in the Gaza Strip, to covering the Arab uprisings that changed the course of history, along with her own upbringing, her start in broadcasting, the injustices she witnessed, and and, and how she ended up working for the UN. It's, mm. Yeah, it's an incredibly moving book. It I just found Shireen really inspiring. I This sounds really interesting. I would want to know, given that she gets stuck into all of these different moments of conflict, does, how does she stay neutral? Does she address that in the memoir? Yes. Because she must see some really horrible stuff. Mm-hmm, and I think this pl- plays into how she ends up becoming an activist, why she leaves broadcasting for a job at the UN. Because as a broadcaster, not, you are just relaying the information. You're not necessarily changing anything or helping I don't, are you help? I don't know. She she weighs all of this up and kind of discusses it and her, you see her thoughts kind of grow and change and how she deals with what she sees and how she moves through her career and why she makes those decisions. Okay. You mentioned her parents are Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking they must have seen quite a lot of conflict before they emigrated. I wonder if that was... I mean, I want to read the book, I'll find out, but I'm just thinking aloud. I wonder if that was a motivational force for her to get into that kind of journalism yeah she talks through what made her decide to be a broadcaster why she wanted to be a war correspondent although that's all kind of covered yeah she talks about her childhood her parents i believe some of their experiences and how that formed who they are and thus who she is it's just a really well-written memoir and just i mean fascinating her path and and as i say so inspiring it sounds great the only other war journalism kind of memoir book i've read was Jeremy Bowen's War Stories. He yes. worked for the BBC for a long time. And there's another famous war correspondent. There was a biopic made, a film made of her recently, hmm. her life. She wears an eye patch. I forget her name. Nope, not ringing a bell for me. James might be Googling it. Mary Colvin. Mary Colvin. That's the one. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. 
But I'm definitely going to add this to my list. So thank you for yeah, that recommendation. Yeah, please do. It's, it's really good. What is your next choice? <laughs> my next choice is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, which was published by Grey Wolf in 2019. Is this the green one? And it's got like the black and white. Yeah. And makes the, up a like house. the image is kind of like fragmented, but it yes. makes up a house. Yes, I yes. love the fact that we know these books by their covers. And <laughs> that green, what would you say that green is? Electric Lime? Yeah, I'd agree. Electric Lime is Is a that a thing? I yeah, just good. It pulled that out of my... Good, good explanation. Okay, mm, great. Nice. Good job. Machado's memoir recounts her emotionally and physically abusive relationship with her partner, who is only ever referred to throughout the book as the woman in the dream house. So, trigger warning, this is very much a memoir about domestic abuse. Machado does talk at the beginning of the book about her childhood experiences, growing up the child of immigrant parents, her issues with body image and her problematic early relationships with men. But the core of this book is about her meeting her abusive partner and the gaslighting that ensues. This is her first relationship with a woman. She doesn't quite know what to expect, but she hopes a same-sex relationship will be more of a coming together of equals, a relationship where power is shared more equitably than if she had been dating a man. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those initial hopes are dashed, I suppose, quite quickly. And she paints an often disturbing portrait of a relationship which largely functions on coercion, isolation and physical abuse. This came out a couple of years ago and it got a lot of positive press then. Is this... I think this is a book you have in the bookshop. It is. It's not one I've read myself, although I do want to, but it is one I pull out for people when they're talking about memoirs. I haven't read it, but from what you've said, it's a really brilliant one for highlighting that domestic abuse and violence in relationships can happen in same-sex couples because I think it's not that often talked about. When when someone says domestic abuse, we think heterosexual relationship, we think the man being the abuser rather than the woman. And I think books like this are good for raising awareness that these things can happen in queer couples. They can, it can happen in any kind of relationship between two people. Yeah. When I was a bookseller a couple of years back, this was a very popular book with lesbian couples who would come in and buy it. And um, we would have a conversation about it being about domestic abuse. And they'd say, yes, but it's beautifully written. And also it gives us some deeper representation. Mm-hmm. It's not just a love story. It's about real issues that lesbians experience, can experience. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. It's also a very self-consciously literary book. In the memoir, Machado is a budding writer and she meets the woman in the dream house when she's a young student at the Iowa Writing Workshop. And this focus on storytelling and narrative at that point in her own life follows through into the structure of the book with each of the short chapters of the memoir told through a different narrative trope. So we get to see what's happening in her relationship told from the angle of a mystery novel or a traditional romance or a prose poem. It's very creative in that sense. That is really creative, mm. isn't it? And it's really accessible, really short chapters. So on one level, it's, it is a very formally inventive book. I think that's a big reason why critics have rated it so highly. It tries and it succeeds to do something very clever and very playful with the traditional form of the memoir i won't tell you how things end up but it's not all doom and gloom but even when things are going well it's still a very raw emotional read and i'd highly recommend it 
Damn it, Joseph. My TBR pile is just We're r- both growing just and growing. one in, one out. We're both <laughs> expanding our TBR piles. Tell me about your next memoir. This is, is your third and final choice. This is in fact. my third and final. We're going to have to do a part two because. I this feel like we could, do, my mind we could do a whole episode on queer memoir, for instance. Yeah, I mean, um, the travel memoirs, like, as you said, medical memoirs, mental yep. health memoirs, yep. like, oh God, there's just hundreds. Maybe this is the Novel Thoughts memoir podcast from here on in. By fiction. No, I couldn't do that to fiction. But we do have to do another part because I can't but just can I, talk about this. Can I say, and we were hmm. talking about this earlier as well, you just mentioned fiction. I kind of feel like memoir gives me a bit of a fiction fix. I know it's meant to be true, but like with Machado's hmm. in the dream house, it's as inventive as fiction. Yes, and they quite often can read as fiction, I think, when they're... I don't want to say when they're done well, because if they don't read like fiction, that's fine too. Okay, what's your third choice, Okay, my third choice is The Best Minds by Jonathan Rosen. Mm, Name rings a bell. Okay, let me tell you about the book, and maybe that will help with you figuring out whether he's who you're thinking he is. So I think it's been on quite a few best of 2023 lists. It was definitely one of Barack Obama's favourites from 2023. Right, stop the pod, I'm reading it. Yeah, so clearly I've got good taste in memoirs. (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. You and Barack. Oh, besties. I'm very interested in books about mental health, whether it's the history of mental health or reading about people's different experiences of mental health, whether that's good mental health, being mentally unwell, I'm just really fascinated by our brains and how they work. Fun fact, I used to want to be a doctor. I wanted to go to medical school. That was what I thought I can totally see that. Life took a completely different path. Although now I'm going, actually I'm going into social work. So I'm kind of swinging back around. So I find these kind of books really interesting. I actually listen to podcasts. They're actually made for medical students to revise. And they just talk about different... medical issues and this what is you need to really know. niche yeah, revision podcasts yeah for medical students i'm I, there i just sit and listen to them and they're fascinating learn learn all like all different kinds of strokes learn about all different you learn loads of stuff it's really cool probably not great if you're a hypochondriac but if you're not really fascinating my niece is training to be a pharmacist at the moment so i need to find out if she's listening to pharmaceutical revision yeah and podcasts. if she does let me know what they are well I'll, I'll be there as well <laughs> really good okay right back to the best minds yes so I was fascinated by this book because it's it's kind of both of those things, a history of mental health and about people's experiences of mental health. Rosen writes a beautiful book that actually, funny enough, I've written in my notes that reads almost like a novel. Um, and as we've just spoken about, mm. a good memoir reading like a novel. He is himself a novelist. So this makes sense that the book has that almost fictional feel to it mm. the, in terms of the plot and the writing. So this book follows the story of Rosen's childhood best friend, Michael Lauder. Lauder was incredibly clever, flying through three years at Yale before he suffered a psychotic break and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. Michael, and this is a quote, Michael was still in hospital when he learned that he'd been accepted to Yale Law School and living in a halfway house when he decided against all odds to enroll. Still battling delusions, he managed to graduate and after his triumphant story was featured in the New York Times, sold a memoir for a vast sum. Ron Howard bought film rights, completing the dream for Michael and his tirelessly supportive girlfriend, Carrie, and Brad Pitt was set to star. But then Michael, in the grip of psychosis, committed a horrific act that made him a front-page story of an entirely different sort, end quote. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, a really sad story. It's also a really inspiring story. It's so many things, this book and this story, which, of course, is true. Schizophrenia is a really misunderstood illness. Yeah. Although as a society, I think we're beginning to talk more openly about mental health and about our experiences. 
we're definitely still as a society quite frightened of schizophrenia and I think a lot of people don't really understand it so I was really really glad that this memoir was written and that it was gaining traction and, and getting press because I think it's so it's an illness it's a, an area of mental health that I think needs to be spoken about more so that we can kind of it's still very stigmatized absolutely I'd be interested to know in terms of the memoir does he just talk about his friends experiences or does he go into other case studies does he talk about how institutions have been running the past how schizophrenia has been diagnosed is yes. it all that kind of stuff as well yeah so he only really focuses on lauder his friend michael lauder's experience and rosen's own understanding of that as his childhood best friend but he does look at a history of mental health in the US and and I think he touches on further afield but yes he definitely is looking at like what's the history of diagnosing schizophrenia all the information around it he he goes into as well and I can imagine with the horrific act that's committed the the kind of twist for want of a better word in this book there was a huge media circus so then yeah. you've got discussions about how then people with mental health issues are represented in the media yeah how they're portrayed Definitely how they're portrayed, how they're helped along the way. So looking at all the ways that the system may have helped or failed to help Rosen's friend and anyone else suffering with mental health issues. There's just so much packed into this book. And this is a book that I think everybody should read. Right. What's your third and final choice? Well, this was really difficult having a short list. But my third and final choice is also a poet, Frank O'Hara, My Father and Me by Ada Calhoun. I've never heard of this, so tell me. So this was originally published by Grove Press back in 2022, so it's really recent. Mm. This is a very moving, very funny, well-observed memoir about Calhoun's relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. So he was the art critic Peter Sheldoll, and their shared love of the work of the American modernist poet Frank O'Hara. So Peter Sheldoll, just in terms of a bit of context was most notably the chief art critic at the New Yorker magazine for many, many decades. But he was also a minor poet back in the 60s and 70s, hence the title, mm -hmm. also a poet. Calhoun herself is a well-known writer and is probably best known for her non-fiction book, St Mark's is Dead, which is a portrait of the St Mark's neighbourhood in the East Village in Manhattan, which has historically been a bit of a down-at-hill mecca for artists, musicians and writers, although I, I'm guessing now it's completely gentrified. So Calhoun says early on that her inspiration for writing this memoir came when she stumbled upon boxes of cassette tapes of interviews her father had done 40 years earlier with many now famous artists and poets with the ambition of writing a literary biography of O'Hara. So these were people who knew Frank O'Hara. He gathered all of this research and he wanted to write this biography. However, for many different reasons, he didn't get around to doing it. So as an O'Hara fan herself, Ada decided to pick up where her father left off. I should say I'm a big poetry fan myself. You'll know that if you listen to the podcast. I love O'Hara's work. So this memoir was an easy sell for me. It was really interesting to hear all of Calhoun's anecdotes about O'Hara, who she knew as a child. I think he babysat her once. And also all the other incredible writers and artists she grew up surrounded by. Yes, <laughs> Sapphire, you've got your hand up. I have, I have a question. As someone who's not a fan of poetry... Yeah. What would be the sell for me and anyone else in a similar boat to me? Because this sounds interesting, but I guess for you, you know who's being talked about. You might be familiar with the people and their work. For me, as someone who wouldn't have a clue, what would the draw be for me? I would say this is a mystery memoir. 
She's found this box of tapes. She's mm-hmm. going through them one by one. The structure of the story is is very clever. Each new tape she listens to takes her off on a particular tangent. And it's not mm. just about poetry. It's about her childhood. It's about her relationship with her father, who is mm-hmm. portrayed as a very emotionally distant figure who really only has time for his work and pretty much nothing else. And also about her aspirations as a writer too and what it means to try to make a name for yourself as a creative in the shadow of a really famous parent. And I was going to say, don't worry if poetry isn't your thing, despite the title and the subject matter. This is very much about the relationship between a daughter and her father. And I would say the struggle we probably all have with coming to terms with the limitations of our own parents. It's a fantastic memoir, and I've recommended it to a lot of self-confessed non-literary friends, and they've loved it. So don't be scared. Amazing. Okay. Oh. Damn it, that goes on the list. You're welcome. Okay, now we've talked memoirs, we've got to that point of the show where we try to help one of our listeners find their next must-read book. Are we ready? We are ready. Our request today comes from Sarah. Hi, Novel Thoughts. Uh, My name's Sarah. I've been really enjoying the podcast so far. I'm hoping you could give me a book recommendation. My favourite book I read last year was The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Darry. I would love to read something similar. Uh, Look forward to hearing what you pick out for me. Ooh, okay, Joseph. I'm so happy that this was Sarah's favourite book last year. I loved Aduni's coming-of-age story in The Girl with the Louding Voice. I thought it was an incredible debut, which was inspiring, but also deeply uncomfortable at the same time, which is unsurprising given its subject matter. I'm going to stay in Nigeria for my recommendation and recommend a classic, Half a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. This novel is set 40-odd years before The Girl with the Louding Voice and follows the experiences of five characters as they live through the Nigerian Civil War. So I think that was from 1967 to 1970, I've got in my notes. Like Dari's debut, it is a book about resilience and survival and the writing is just incredible. Nice. Full disclosure, I've not read The Girl with the Louding Voice. Read it. Sorry, read um, it. I, again, like so many books, I have a copy in this house. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I've heard brilliant things about it. But I'm a bookseller. This happens often. Someone wants a recommendation yeah. for a book I've not read. So I'm cool with that. So I'm going to recommend The Seven Moons of Marley Almedia by Sheehan Karanakutilaka. I've butchered it. And I will say, I'm really sorry. It's an incredibly difficult Sri Lankan name to pronounce. Yes, it's Sri Lankan. Yes, I have looked up how to pronounce it. I spent time practicing beforehand and I still managed to butcher it on the recording. But despite my terrible pronunciation, this book is incredible. It's a magical realism whodunit set amid Sri Lankan civil war and it's just incredible. I mean, it was the winner of the Booker Prize in 2022 and for good reason. I absolutely loved Karanathilaka's novel. I think it's his second one. Why are you just showing off that you can pronounce it and I can't? I think it's a great recommendation. Thank you. (laughs) It is. So, Sarah, I I hope you enjoy it. God damn it, that's the end of the show. (laughs) Next week, we will be talking about our top picks for new releases in March and dishing out some great recommendations to more of our lovely listeners. As always, links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes. Please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod, tell a friend or leave us a review. It all helps. If you're looking for your next great read and you'd like to be part of the show, send us your recommendation request to ntpramsgate at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at novelthoughts underscore pod. Bye. Bye. Bye.